0: This is the Ask the Experts 401k Podcast. Welcome to the Ask the Experts 401k Podcast. My name is Sharon Piverato. I'm here to help financial advisors grow a successful and compliant 401k practice. Each week, we're going to cover how some of the most accomplished advisors, industry experts, and thought leaders approach selling and servicing 401K plans so you learn and leverage their wisdom and experience to grow and protect your business. Do you want more resources, strategies, and best practices like the ones we're about to share on this episode? Then you're going to want to do two things. The first is to subscribe to the Ask the Experts podcast on iTunes so you don't miss out on new ideas from future conversations. After this, you're going to want to check out my main site, 401kbestpractices.com. When you enter your email address to join the 401k best practice community, you'll get access to my most advanced strategies and resources to grow and protect your 401k business. Again, that's 401kbestpractices.com. On this first episode, I decided to address the most common question that's come out of the new 401k Client Acquisition Workshop. This is a program I developed along with contributions from Jane Murphy of Acceleration Retirement and Stephen Wershing of the Client Driven Practice. And the question is this, can you tell me more about what exactly is an advisory board and how you'd set one up? Now for those listening that haven't gone through the 401k Client Acquisition Workshop, you can learn more at www.401kclientacquisitionformula.com But this topic is something that everyone should be interested in because it gets to the heart of how to make referral marketing so successful. And as you know, referral marketing in the 401k industry is one of the most effective marketing methods you could use. So let me start just by giving you a quick explanation of what exactly a client advisory board is. A client advisory board is a group of your best clients that would meet several times a year to discuss a limited agenda of questions dealing with the nature and quality of the services you provide. A very small number of advisory firms use an advisory board, but most of those who have done it well report that it is one of the most powerful business development tools they've ever seen. So to answer your questions about this topic, I've brought in the expert who wrote the book on referral marketing. In fact, the actual title of the book is Stop Asking for Referrals, a revolutionary new strategy for building a financial service business that sells itself. Our expert guest and author today is Stephen Wershane. Thanks so much for being my first expert guest and let me get right to it. Stephen, who typically should be on an advisory board?
1: Well, the big thing is you want people from your ideal client description. So one of the things that you know I'm, I'm a big fan of is, is developing and cultivating a niche. And when I meet with a lot of advisors who want to put together their advisory board and, and they want to enlist my help on it, you know, a lot of them will say, well, I want to take a good cross-section uh, of, of my clients. I want to, you know a bunch of different groups represented and I, and I counsel them not to do that uh, because if you have people who are coming to you for different reasons, who have somewhat different needs, if you don't have a good, clear, distinct niche now, um, gathering people together from those mixes of things will, will sort of muddle up the feedback that you get because people will like you for different reasons. People will look, you know, will consider different things as being most important and most valuable about what you do. So the main thing is that. Uh, the people on the board represent your ideal client, however you describe that. Now, beyond that, there are two basic kinds of folks that you want on there, two or three. Uh, one is you want typically people from among your top clients, and sometimes that means that they have a lot of money under management, but to me, the bigger, the bigger issue there is, do they in fact utilize the whole collection of services that you provide? So if you do financial planning, well, in your case, you're going to do 401Ks, so for example, you would not, you know, some a lot of your advisors may um, advise on the 401k at a company, and they may also have the owner as an individual client, and uh, they may also have other business owners or other people that those business owners refer them to who they're not managing the 401k for. So in our case, um, you know, you'd want to make sure that there are people who are actually um, looking to you to advise on their 401ks, um, okay. and and then the other the other big the other big kind of person that you want on there is is, is connectors people who um, can connect you with other folks who match your ideal client profile.
2: Okay, and I'm I'm one of these detailed people. And specifically, if you were my teacher, I'd be saying, okay, Steven. So first off, the client advisory board is made up of clients. That's the first criteria. They have to be client, right?
1: Not necessarily, no. There are good reasons why you might bring a lot of advisory boards have centers of influence on them. And uh, in fact, some of them we we will bring in prospects. So let's say say somebody just decided that they wanted to specialize in the 401k market, and they've just signed up for your service to learn how to do it. Um, And so they've only got two or three plans that they advise on now. A great way to help build that that base is to, is to put together a client advisory board specifically for your 401K proposition. To, to have the, the two or three clients that you've got that you advise on their plans on the board, you might bring on an, an accountant or two who, who is in a position to refer your business to qualified plans. And there may be a couple of folks that you would love to have as clients who you have some kind of a relationship with, you know, that, that you're not just a stranger to them, but, but they know you on some level and, and they have 401K plans themselves. Uh, the, the, the main thing is that they're, they're coming from a perspective that will give you meaningful feedback in terms of advancing your value proposition to other 401K sponsors.
2: So when you approach them about um, setting up a client advisory board, how do, you, how do you go about that? I assume you set kind of goals for the board first, so that way you can then use that to say, here's what I'm doing and why?
1: There, there's a whole script that we provide clients on... on to step through things, but sort of to summarize, you want to let them know what you're doing, which is you're assembling a group of your most important clients to give you feedback on what's most valuable about what you do in terms of advising plant sponsors and to systematically improve the experience of working with you. So number one is you lay out what your objectives are. The second thing is you want to build them up and help them feel important because it will predispose them to want to help you out. And so you say... And because, you know, you're such an important relationship and because, you know, we think so much of your opinion, it just really wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the same quality of experience if we couldn't get you to help us out with this project. And so build them up. And then the other big thing that we try to do is to, to dispel the, the number one objection that you're likely to get, which is, I don't have time to do this. Um, that actually comes from a perspective of people being afraid of what, of what kind of a commitment it will be, not realizing that there really is not that much of a commitment on the part of the, uh, of, the, of the participants and that they don't understand how great an experience it's going to be for them. And so what we do is, even though we might be going into it saying we have every intention of making this an ongoing project and, and we're going to meet three times a year and you know we're going to systematically get make things better, what you say to them up front is, all we're asking for is the commitment to come to one dinner or one lunch. Um, to help us work through some of this stuff. We, we, if, this, if it works really well, we'd like to do it some more, but for now, we're only asking people to commit to coming to, to one meal and, to, and provide us some of this feedback, and then we'll see where it goes from there. So those are the three big things. Um, let them know what you're doing and what your objectives are. Help build them up and make them feel more important, and let them know how important they are to you, and dispel the biggest objection, which is likely to be being uh, concerned about how much time they're going to have to give to it.
2: Yeah, so, so if, you're, if you're going to have, obviously, I think there's, there's typically a little bit more format or structure than just the, the first initial meeting. Um, after that, what is the format? Is, is there typically kind of a, a planned, if the first meeting goes well and people are willing to commit more time, how do you proceed then?
1: Well, let, let, me, let me sort of lay out what we do in the first meeting, too, because the first meeting is, pretty, is a pretty standard format for it, and I, and I think that if, if it's okay, I'd like to talk about some of the questions that we ask because the questions are really, you know, most of, most of the, the benefits of the, of the meeting are going to come out of the quality of the questions. Yeah, there's a lot to be care. said for who's sitting. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for who's sitting around the table and for the quality of the facilitator. But really, what it comes down to is the quality of the question. And okay. so the, the, you want you want to um, ask questions about the client experience and about what they find valuable. And just in general terms, you want to start with open end and maybe gradually, if you find the need to work toward closed end questions. But to keep it open-end as much as possible. And, of course, an open-end question is an invitation for people to talk. A closed-end question is, is one that you can answer with a yes or a no.
2: Right. So,
1: you know, what I've seen advisors do in the past, for example, is to bring everybody together and say, so how are we doing? You know, is our service good? Well, that's a closed-end question, and it's not going to get you anywhere. Um, you you want to ask an open-end question that would be, um, you know, when you were first deciding to hire us as an advisor, and you talk with the different people that you were going to talk to potentially to go to. What was it that pushed you off the fence in our direction? What was it that got you to make that decision to come here? That can be a really good question. Another really important question is: of all the various things that we do for you, what do you find most valuable? That's so much more valuable. So much there's so much more stuff to be talked about in there than you know how we do and how's our service. Is our service good enough? And so, in, the, in, that, in that first meeting, we systematically go through the, you know, why did you come, why do you stay, what's most valuable, what do you think sets us apart, and that's pretty much the, for the agenda for the first meeting. You, those questions can last you a while, so that's typically what we get through in the first meeting. And then, um, you know, from there, subsequent meetings, a lot of them are really driven by, uh, by what develops in the first couple of meetings. So. The first one you want to find out about what people find most valuable and, and what they find makes you different from other advisors. The second meeting, you know, we'll start digging into things like, um, you know, evaluation of specific services or uh, feedback about the client experience. You know, so what's your feeling when you first walk into our office? If if you could do anything that you, anything that you wanted to to improve the experience, what would you change? Um, those kinds of questions, and then. Um, we also frequently go into the marketing, and that might be the second, third, or fourth meeting where we go into. We're going to send out our brochure. We're going to send out printouts of some of our web pages, and we're going to ask people. You know, this is what you told us in the first meeting was most valuable. Does this come through on all this this material? Um, if you look at this, you know, do you think this um, do you think this is a good reflection on the firm? Do you think it's a good explanation of what we do and why we're different? And getting their feedback. And then from there on, it really a lot of it is driven by your business needs and, and driven by the stuff that the uh, advisory board comes up with. It's it's not uncommon for the advisory board to come up with stuff that you realize needs to be an agenda item later. Um, and it can be yeah, it can, it can be really uh, it can be really interesting. So for example, um, one firm that I worked with it is a a very it, it's a relatively small practice. Uh, two practitioners and some support staff, and one of their challenges was everybody who called in with an important planning question wanted to talk to the senior planner. Now there was all, there's also you know a partner, and while she's a little bit younger than the uh, than the senior partner, she's still has a lot of years in the business and is perfectly capable of doing the financial planning and that kind of stuff. But whenever any of the clients called in, if it was something really important, they said, we want to talk to the senior partner. And so we put that to the board. And we said, uh, you know, so that's creating a real schedule problem for the senior partner. And, and of course, the the associate here is perfectly capable of working through any financial planning question with you. Why is it that you you feel so strongly about talking to the senior partner? One of the first people to pipe up said, oh, We didn't realize she was an advisor. We thought she was your assistant. That was a huge revelation, right? Part of the problem was that the the name of the company is the senior advisor's name. So, I mean, that that got us going down one track where do we rename the firm and give it a different identity? But then also it gave us things on future agendas that said, okay, so how do we – how do we integrate that associate better into the relationships, and how do we make it clear up front that, that you know, these people are partners. It's not a senior and an assistant kind of a thing. And so we've we come back to that three or four times over the course of the seven or eight advisory board meetings that
2: we've done. It's interesting. I think because a lot of times when, when I hear the concept of advisory board, I think um, I always hear picture it hand in hand with referral marketing since that's the book that I read that you wrote and that's how it talks about engaging your clients and and it seems like there's so many objectives and some of them you don't even know um, are going to be benefits or outcomes until you start going through the process but does it help to initially before you look to create an advisory board sit down and come up with a list of what exactly am I trying to accomplish? Is it to define my niche? Is it to add or remove services and find what's valuable? Is there all of the above?
1: It is very helpful. It's just like any other kind of endeavor, right? It's, you know, if you begin with the end in mind, it's a lot more likely that it's going to be real productive for you. And that's certainly true of advisory boards. What, and one of, the, one of the reasons why advisory boards sometimes fail is because there isn't that thought put in up front. They just get together and, well, what are we going to talk about today? Well, you never want to have that happen in an advisory board. You always want to figure out what is it I'm looking to improve, what is it I'm hoping to change, what, it, what is it that I want my clients' feedback on. And I'll just I'll throw this in, too, that you know, this is something that, that you know, annoys me, not, not just about client advisory boards, but about any kind of a meeting is if you're bringing people together to report stuff to them, you're wasting their time. So you, all, you, you need to plan out these agendas ahead of time because you only want to convene people for the purpose of getting their guidance or making a decision. And if it's not one of those two things, if you're just reporting things to them, you're really wasting their time, and you're not going to get that much value out of your advisory board. So um, the, the, other, the other good reason to plan is, that there are a lot of times when there are things about your practice that you're willing to change and things that you're not willing to change. And so you want to be very careful about how you construct the questions because you don't necessarily just want to give an open-ended question if it opens up too much of an opportunity for people to give you advice on things that you can't or don't want to do for example, let, let's say that instead of, say, if, if you, if there are specific lines of business that you know you want to steer clear of, but that, that they might be pretty popular with clients, you don't just, say, you know, there are a lot of times in an advisory board, we'll ask the group, what other kinds of services can we provide that you would find valuable? It's a very popular question that we ask in like a third or fourth meeting kind of a thing. But if there are areas like tax preparation or something that you know you don't want to go into. You, you want to be careful to, to construct that question. So you, instead of asking what services might you find valuable, you might say, in, in our planned compliance services, what could we add to that to make it more valuable? You can be a lot more careful about how you construct the question so that you get feedback that you're going to be willing to take action on. And that all yeah, takes planning, and, and then that, that 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 requires that you know what your objectives are up front.
2: In talking about setting objectives up front, is setting up a client advisory board something that you typically create kind of a, a formal project of work or bylaws or some sort of is, – is it very formal, or is it more just kind of the planning and execution that creates
1: – It's really just the planning and execution, because it's because you're really just pulling together some top clients for feedback. It's not like a board of directors. You know where you've got to comply with certain regulations or rules, or you know you're you're not giving them any authority over your organization. You're just asking for their guidance, and then you know it's really incumbent on you to follow the guidance as best you can. Um, but no, that we've we've never had. I've never seen one that had you know bylaws or policies or. Anything like that, because it really is just we're just going to gather some of our best clients together and ask for their guidance on stuff. So um, that part of it, you know, you can be kind of loose on. Now, now there there are norms of conduct within the meeting. So, but again, that, that really comes down to your facilitator. So that, to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to talk, that that you know, that no opinions are criticized. You know, that you know, there those kinds of things that are common to sort of group meetings. But uh, but no, but nothing in terms of of, of a formal organization structure.
2: Okay, you know, I just heard you say the word facilitator, and I'm glad you said that, because I've heard the term third-party facilitator, and I've read that that's important to to not have the advisory firm run the entire thing themselves. What is is a third-party facilitator? Who would be that person, and why would you want a third-party person to do that?
1: Well, a facilitator is somebody who makes sure that the meeting moves along and moves on smoothly, and so it's it's a particular skill set, and and sometimes this is hard to get the point across because, of course, every advisor thinks they can run a meeting, but but there's special things to take into account when you get a group meeting together, uh, you know. In this, so you you need to you need to be able to keep track of who's talking and you know who's contributing, so that you make sure that you you draw out the people who are more naturally quiet, and you also you know need to have some skills at you know, crowd control sometimes because there are, there are times when somebody's going to dominate a meeting and not stop talking, and you need to know how to sort of, you know, persuade them to hand the ball off to somebody else to be able to talk. But there are some distinct advantages to bringing in an outside facilitator, an outside meeting that they, they don't have direct client contact, especially in an advisory role. So sometimes you can, if your firm is big enough, you can bring in somebody from the firm to do it as long as they're not a client-facing professional because that's not the role you want standing in the front of the room. Right. You know, you want somebody whose job it is simply to, to, to run the meeting. Some of the value of a facilitator is that, you know, w- whatever you as an advisor are going to hear from your clients, you're going you're to perceive that through a prism that's colored by all of your experiences and all of your business decisions to that point. So a lot of times a facilitator um, can pursue a lot of questioning or um, help bring out some answers that are not what you expect and not what you anticipated, not what you necessarily even wanted to hear. But a facilitator is there to make sure that the clients have the opportunity to fully express themselves and to develop develop those ideas. One of the big values of an advisory board is to question your assumptions and to help you discover things that you wouldn't have discovered otherwise. But there are also a couple of unique benefits in, in this context to having an outside facilitator. One of them is that since the facilitator has no relationship with anybody on the board outside of that meeting, they can do things that it might be difficult for the advisor to do herself. So, for example, if the person dominating the conversation is your biggest client, I mean, how comfortable would you be telling your biggest client to shut up? That, that, can, that can be kind of tricky, you know. And so, but a facilitator doesn't have the relationship, and if, and if the client gets angry with the facilitator, no big deal, right? In an extreme situation, you fire the facilitator. But it doesn't it doesn't imperil your relationship with the client. But the other thing is that a facilitator can get away with asking some things that would come across wrong if it was the advisor doing it. You know, let's say that, that you're talking about bringing out a new service. And so, you know, you want the clients to tell you how to sell them. So a facilitator can, can ask questions like, well, let's say that, Sharon here was, was, going to be, was going to bring out this service that you were just talking about, how would you suggest that she introduce that to other clients like you? Now, if I as a facilitator am asking that, all I'm doing is looking for information. If you were to ask that, it's selling, and you don't want to come across like that because it will stifle the conversation. You know, it, an advisory board is a great opportunity to, to significantly deepen relationships with some of your top clients. But for that to work really well, you need to be part of the group. You need to be part of the tribe. You need to be sitting with them and and being in conversation with them. And the relationship fundamentally changes when you stand up and walk to the front of the room. And that's why you want a third party up there. You want an outside party standing at the front of the room so that, you know, when the conversation happens, you as the advisor are in it and not trying to direct it or guide it.
2: I know that on your website you actually have a section that says – client advisory boards, and you can be contacted for advisors that want to know how you can help them engage their best clients, deepen relationships, generate referrals, because obviously engaged clients are more likely to generate referrals. So I'm sure in, in having done this for other clients, do you have any examples of, of firms that have set up advisory boards and how it's changed or modified or enhanced their services and, and their ability yeah. to their practice?
1: Yeah, I, well, actually, and I do that. I do it a lot. I mean, I I, I spend a lot of time on the road, um, going you know from city to city, facilitating advisory board meetings. So it's one of the things that we're better known for here. And you know, one of, one of the uh, most common experiences that we have is that you have an advisor who does not have a particularly well differentiated proposition, and we clarify it using the advisory board. So we we can. Um, you know, we draw out of them what they find most useful. So, um, you know, in, in, in the example of people in your network, Sharon, you know, an advisor might say, you know, well, I work with 401Ks. And so, you know, I think, you know, when they're talking with a new prospect, they'd say, well, we provide great service and, and we can help you make sure you've got a, um, you know, a 401K that achieves all, all its objectives and, and that's why you should talk to us put an advisory board together you might find out that there are things well beyond that that are really most valuable to people you might find that you know an advisor their compliance review service you know might they might really value that or you might find that the client that the employee education stuff that you provide is what they really find valuable or you know, your knowledge of plan design so that they can take a prototype plan and customize it make it a new comp plan or something like that and that that's what they found most valuable. You know, so the clients can give you a lot of guidance as to what kinds of things you might want to be stressing when you talk with new prospects, which will help you bring in new clients. But also, sitting around the table, they can hear each other say this and sometimes just helping them work out the language of how to describe what's most valuable to you train them to be better referral sources so that you know you work out the language of how they should describe you to other people and then they're in a position to be able to do that. So we find that happens a lot where and we do it explicitly after a little while, you know, once we get a few meetings in, we'll start we'll start specifically designing, you know, how should somebody how how do you currently describe Sharon to other people now? And you know, How should we be encouraging people to describe? And you work out that language, and what you're doing is you're training them how to refer. And what we find is that people who participate on the advisory board tend to become the strongest referral sources for a firm.
2: I would say that for 2015, we all need to set up advisory boards.
1: I think so. I think so. (laughs) You can sign up right after the webinar. A
2: couple things kind of come to mind. One, it doesn't sound that complicated. At the same time, it sounds like there's a lot of details and a lot of things that are really important that, that need to be you know, planned and, and looked at when it comes to the questioning, when it comes to facilitating, when it comes to exactly the purpose and the scope and, and how you you run this board. Um, I noticed that you do have a, like a ninety-day coaching program. Can you tell us about that? If somebody doesn't want to do this their, themselves, they can actually bring you in and help them.
1: Yeah. Well, the. Um the 90-day coaching program actually is, is more general referral marketing coaching, but the client advisory board service has a six-week training program that leads up to the first, to the first meeting. So there's a specific series of steps that we take people through. And, and just like you said, it's not, it's not overly complicated stuff. It's just we have so much accumulated experience from doing this that there are you know, all kinds of little tricks and tips that we can, that we can tell you about so that it becomes a lot more effective. So we, the, the, the process that leads up to that first meeting include developing your objectives for the board, who to invite, how to make the invitation, um, what to put on that first agenda, what to put in the prep kit to send out to people, um, how to choose the right venue and prep the staff to be set up appropriately for it, and then um, you know, how to behave within the meeting so that you contribute to how productive it is uh, what that's one of the big things that, that we try to get across to people is that there are a hundred little things that you could accidentally say that would take the meeting off course or make it less productive. And so we can coach you on what kinds of things you can do within the meeting to get the best quality feedback and the, the most valuable information. And then if, if we're doing it for them, um, we'll go out. Somebody from here will go out and facilitate the meeting, and then uh, the advisor gets a, a five pieces of follow-up from it. They get a recording of the meeting. They get a transcript of the meeting. They get a transcript of the flip charts that we fill out while we're doing the meeting. They get a report from us on what we thought was significant in terms of the uh, conversation, along with some marketing tips and some suggestions on what to do with that feedback, and then we give them another version of that report with all of those recommendations stripped out of it so that it's in a form that's appropriate to send the participants in the meeting as sort of a, an acknowledgment of their participation and to, you know, let them know what, what, they, what you heard in the meeting. It
2: sounds like you've put together a really comprehensive program. The training, is, is most of it delivered live or online, or how, is that, how would somebody attend that training?
1: Yeah, it, well, it's uh, it's customized for every client. So we're, we're working with a particular advisor on on getting their advisory board together. So at least at this point, um, it's all within the context of a consulting contract. So it's delivered over the phone and over the internet. Um, so we use screen sharing technology and, and and otherwise talk to them on the phone, and then um, and then somebody appears live to do the facilitation, and then we. We deliver the uh, all the most of the output electronically.
2: If somebody wants to learn more about how to engage you for that service, how would they contact you, Steve?
1: Um, they can go right to our website at theclientdrivenpractice.com, and uh, there's a section on uh, client advisory boards on there, and there's also a white paper on client advisory boards that people can download if they fill out a form. And and there's also not not that uh, it has specifically to do with advisory boards, but we also just put up a new. Uh, a new resource today, a new free resource, that uh, I can give you a special URL to go to if if you're interested in getting that one. And, it, and it's a, a new paper that we just published called 10 Steps to a Killer Positioning Statement.
2: We would love the URL to that. The quality of the content and the material you put out is fantastic. Why would we not? it? <laughs>
1: <we have> <laughs> yeah, and, and you guys are the first to hear about it because, like I said, it just went live, so it's not referred to anywhere else on the site yet. But if you go to free report dot the client driven practice dot com slash ten dash steps. You can um, you put in your name and your email address and it will email you a copy of the report.
2: Perfect. Thank you so much. We're, we're out of time for the content side. Do you have time to take a few questions if there are any?
1: I do. Steve, Yes, I do. Do you find that it's beneficial for the advisors to be in the meeting or do you find that the clients don't want to say because they don't want to hurt feelings, step on toes. Yeah, you know, I get that question every so often, and only only recently have I ever had the experience where the suggestion actually came up in a meeting to have a little time with the advisor not there. I'm, I'm a big fan of having the advisor in the room, and especially if you've got a good facilitator, you know, I don't think that you have too much to worry about about people not saying what's really on their mind. And one of the exercises that we do, actually, at the beginning of the meeting, especially at the beginning of the first meeting, sort of sets up the stage to do that. So what I ask advisors is, what's something that you do that you've been thinking about changing anyway? Um, you know, is it a format of a report? Is it uh, you know, a meeting structure? You know, what, what, is there anything that you, that you think could be improved that you've been thinking about changing anyway? And then we put that out as the first question in the meeting because we're hoping that somebody is going is going to void an opinion that they want to see something changed? Or if and one of, the, one of the things that we do, one of the little secrets that we use is we try to attract somebody in who's not afraid to speak their mind, who we can sort of count on to bring up something contentious, because it gives the advisor an opportunity to show everybody um, that they're interested in hearing that. And so there's a whole script that we worked out about put the question out, wait, get, try to get that feedback, hope, for the, hope to get the negative feedback. And then the way the advisor responds to that, and it's funny because it's almost exactly the same wording no matter what the issue is, is you know, we'll process it for a little bit and then I'll toss it back to the advisor and I'll say, well, what do you think? And the adv- I've already coached the advisor to say, You know, I'm really glad you brought that up. I had no idea you felt so strongly about it and how you wanted it changed. You know, I can't tell you exactly what we're going to do about it because this is the first we're hearing about it. But what I promise you is, when we meet next week to talk about strategy for next year, that's going to be at the top of the agenda. And once you've done that, you've just given permission to everybody else in the room to air whatever's on their mind. So I'm a you know, because this is supposed to be a relationship-building exercise, I'm a big believer in having the advisor in the room, and I've rarely had a, I've never had an experience where somebody came up to me later and said, geez, you know, I just wasn't comfortable saying this or that. But Like I said, a lot of that is the quality of the facilitator and, and the ability to set up the stage, set up the whole environment so that people are comfortable saying that stuff.
2: Thank you. That was a great question. You covered a lot on this call. I don't know that there there is much more to cover, although I know in your book, um, if, you, if those of you on the call haven't already picked up a copy, Stop Asking for Referrals is the name, a revolutionary new strategy for building a financial service business that sells itself. And it, I've read it and I've given out 40 copies in the last 60 days to our new 401k client acquisition um, workshop students and, and have gotten fantastic feedback on the quality of the content and the ideas in that book. So if you haven't gotten that book, I'd highly recommend that you grab a copy.
1: As we start the new year, I can't think of any priority that, that should be higher than, um, you know, finding out from your clients how you can improve their experience of your firm. So it's, this is a great project to, to undertake in the new year.
2: Definitely. Thank you so much for your time, and thank you for the, the free report um, on 10-steps on your website. We really appreciate that. And if anybody has any questions for Steve, um, again, you can contact him at theclientdrivenpractice.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening today, and thank you so much, Steve, for the insight and ideas that you shared with us.
1: Well, Sharon, thanks for inviting me. Again, it's always a pleasure to talk to you.